So about a year ago to, uh, today, there was a gentleman who stood where I'm standing, uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Qualls. I think you all know Steve and Lee and their family. December 29th, 2019, Steve stood uh, where I am and talked to us out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. And the message that got laid on Steve's heart was born out of some comments that he made at an elder meeting late in 2019, and he was concerned with our seeming addiction to comfort. And so he titled his lesson, From Whence Does Thy Comfort Come? And so he challenged us to evaluate the things that provide us comfort. And he said that it is either rooted in the temporal, meaning those things that change, or the eternal, the things that are unchanging. Safe to say that if I knew then what I know now, I got to believe I would have paid more attention to all the things that Steve said. I got to believe I would have taken more notes. And I got to believe I would have probably spent more time praying through those scriptures. Because I don't know about you, but most of my comforts have been stripped away in 2020. Steve's not able to be here this morning. Hopefully he's watching on video. He and his family, if they are, Merry Christmas to you, brother. Missed you. Hope you're doing well. He's been caring for his parents over in East Tennessee. But we're here today, and we are here looking back on one of the most difficult years that many of us have probably ever endured. We've seen schools closing. We've seen virtual everything. Businesses closing. Masks everywhere. That one right here. Death everywhere. Arguing everywhere. Division everywhere. I don't know if you missed it, but we had a bomb explode in downtown Nashville a couple of days ago. And you can forget virtual reality because virtual has pretty much become our reality in 2020. But here we sit on the precipice of a new year, facing a new presidential administration, a new vaccine, seeing churches, businesses, resorts, travel, and other places which we used to derive so much comfort through possibly reopening. And so what are we as the church supposed to think about these days? What are we to do with these days? I mean, none of us really know what 2021 holds. And January 1 is going to feel a whole lot like December the 31st. We also aren't sure how we're supposed to react to what comes. About 2,000 years ago, the church at Rome, churches at Rome faced these same realities that we face today. They regularly had new rulers over them. They lived in an increasingly oppressive culture. They faced pandemics and plagues and persecution. And they asked this same question that we're asking Today, what are we supposed to do as the church in light of all of these circumstances that we face? Paul had just spent the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans helping the churches there understand all they had in common in Christ and all 
that Christ had done for them. The churches at Rome were very diverse. They were filled with both Jewish and Gentile Christians. And so he had to work through a lot of very difficult topics. Topics like the law. Because the Jews were raised in understanding things about the law that the Gentiles didn't even know. Things like circumcision, Gentile salvation, Gentile participation in worship, laws around food and the Sabbath. And then in chapter 12 of Romans, he answers their question of what now? And so this morning, I'd like to share with you a few of these exhortations. My initial uh, set of scriptures that I sent to Joe to review was like Romans 12, 9 through 21. But whenever I saw there was like 25 exhortations there, I thought, you know, we're going to be here all day. So I'll just back it down to 13. So these were specific actions that they were to take, the churches at Rome were to take, toward each other in light of their new reality, in light of the fact that they were take, to take these actions toward one another in light of everything they had just been taught in the first 11 chapters of Romans there, regardless of their circumstances. And the truths that Paul shared with us here are also to mark our lives today as well. Our lives as followers of Christ, no matter where the wind might blow, including the unknowns of 2021. So we're going to look here, as Valerie just read, Romans 12, 9 through 13. You follow along again as I read these. It said, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So what I'm going to do today is to take those 13 exhortations and break them down into three sections which you have in your notes on your handouts there. Um, so these 13 will fit in the midst of those three um, sections. And the first section is, is let love genuinely love genuinely we're gonna look at verses 9 and 10 verse 9 and 10 there again say let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good verse 9 translated literally is let love be without hypocrisy now what paul is doing there is he is building upon a theme that he had built at the end of verse 8 the previous verse to verse 9 where he says contributing should be generous Leadership should be zealous. Mercy should be cheerful. And love should be without hypocrisy. And it's something that, to be show, that we're to show by our actions and by our deeds. And it's not just a kindness or a sentimental love that quickly fades when it's uncomfortable or inconvenient or, God forbid, we disagree on something. It is to be born of, out of how we treat each other in the church. And so how are we to live this out? He says that next exhortation, hating evil and holding fast to what is good. So how am I to know and how are you to know 
what is evil and what's good. Is this something that's agreed upon by all? Or am I allowed to define it myself in, in light of my circumstances? Fifty years ago, certain types of dancing were considered evil. Today, the dancing from 50 years ago probably wouldn't even be considered dancing. I know there are some of you out there who may or may not be seated over in this area who think the New York Yankees are evil and the Red Sox are good, or vice versa. Some of you, seated all over the building, would say that the Vols are good and that the Crimson Tide is evil, or vice versa. Thank you for holding it down over here. And there are some in our world, though, who would say that our Christian view of marriage and sexuality is evil because it's exclusive and that the LGBTQ agenda is good because it is inclusive. So how are we to know who is right? Or even if there is such a thing as objective good and evil. Verse 2 of chapter 12 helps us with this. Verse 2 of chapter 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now this verse helps us in our understanding of objective good as it is determined outside of us, thereby making it objective. It's not subject to my opinion, thereby making it subjective. John Piper put it this way, he says, the reason there is such a thing as objective good is that there is such a thing as the will of God. Or most simply and most profoundly, the reason there is such a thing as objective good outside ourselves is that God is outside of ourselves. And most concretely and specifically, God has made Himself known objectively and historically in Jesus Christ in Scripture. So we're to hold fast to good and to hate evil. We're also to love the church like family. Verse 10 again says, Love one another with brotherly affection, and outdo one another in showing honor. As you heard me say in the introduction, Rome was a very diverse city. It was truly a melting pot of peoples, traditions, cultures, and religious backgrounds. The one another that's mentioned there twice in verse 10 isn't addressed to those outside the church, it's addressed to those inside the church. And in that first part of verse 10, there are two words that Paul uses for love. The first word is at the beginning of verse 10 is the word philostrogoi. And it's a comfortable type of love. It's a love um, that we have with lifelong friends. Somebody that once you've had that love and you maybe some time has gone by and you run back into them, you're able to catch back up really quickly. It's like they never left your presence. It's a comfortable love. The other, is, the other word used at the middle of there, verse 10, is brotherly affection. The word Philadelphia. Which is why the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. And that's more about deep bonds. 
deep bonds and a, a level of familiarity that have been developed over years of life together. So we may disagree on things, we may argue, we may fight, but let someone outside of the family harm you and it's on. <clears throat> so when I was a young guy, I was a freshman in high school, Waverly Central High School, 1981. Uh, I had an older brother, my brother Jimmy. And Jimmy and I fought like brothers do. If I'd wear his stuff or move his things or want to use his car or want to run around with his friends, I was summarily dismissed and or punched or wrestled to the ground and held down until I couldn't breathe, whatever. You know what? How many of you have big brothers in here? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. But when I was a freshman there at Waverly High School, it was normal for it was a normal practice for the upperclassmen to seek out the freshmen to have them do things. And in Waverly, in those days, it was commonplace for them to ask you at lunchtime to carry their tray or to go get them some more food or some more drink. And if you didn't, they would threaten you or make fun of you or possibly hit you or whatever. Threaten you with violence. Well, one thing that I failed to mention earlier is that my older brother Jimmy was the middle linebacker for the high school football team. And he was a senior. And so when Jimmy got wind of this, he got a friend. And they found the guy. Um... And they impressed upon him the importance of leaving me alone. Now, they didn't beat him up, just for the record. Um, they probably threatened him. I wasn't present to see it, but I know this much. That guy didn't talk to me for the rest of my high school career. So this, this is the type of love that we're to have, that brotherly love that it's talking about there. And I'm not talking about going out and threatening neighbors of our church members are beating up people who run over your mail. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the kind of brotherly love to where, yeah, we may argue and we may fight and we may disagree about things. But if someone outside of the family of God is seeking to harm you, we are going to have your back. We're going to be there for you through thick and thin. So look around you in this room. Do you expect this to be simple? I mean, it's easy to love Miss Jackie. There's Miss Jackie back there. It's easy to love her. No issues whatsoever. Now, Fred's not here today. But Fred Shanks is a little harder. Okay? It's going to take more effort on our part. It's going to take more work. But it's possible. Because Matthew 19, 26 says, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So we're to have brotherly love. We're also to outdo one another in showing honor. And this means treating people better than they deserve. But you do it anyway. We are to seek to outdo one another in this. And we are to do this both in word and in deed. So we are to love genuinely. And we should all seek new ways to live this out in 2021. Second, we're to stay committed to Christ. 
verses 11 and 12. These verses say, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. So we're to avoid being slothful in zeal. What does that even mean? Slothful means to be lazy or unproductive. Spurgeon said it this way, a lazy man is no beauty anywhere. And then Hebrews 6, 10 through 12 also addresses being slothful. For It says, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish. Same word there. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So 2020 has given workers the chance to work from home. Churches, the opportunity to view worship from home as folks are doing right now. Families, more chances to eat at home. We've lost many opportunities to live for Christ in sharing the gospel in 2020 because of social distancing. But God's word still applies today like it did a year ago when we wrestled with the comforts that Steve taught us about. And we used those comforts as reasons not to share the gospel. We're also to be fervent in spirit. Saying that we're to be fervent in spirit challenges us to be on fire for God because we have the gospel of Christ, the love of God, and the grace of the Spirit upon us. The word translated here is zeo, Z-E-O, and it literally means to boil over. And as I thought about that picture of something boiling over, and in light of where we are today and the topic that we're talking about, it made me think of like a pressure cooker that sits there as the heat builds and builds and builds. And so with the pent-up pressure that we all have faced this year of staying apart or of wearing masks or not wearing masks, of not gathering for the holidays or gathering for the holidays, what are you going to be aimed at when your pressure valve is opened. What are you going to do with all those things that you've told yourself in 2020 about that you wish you could do this and if you could just do this, it would be so much better. What are you going to be aimed at when all that pressure is relieved? And I don't know when that's going to be. And I don't know that you do either. It's an important question to ponder. Paul encouraged his readers to be on fire God, especially the new believers and especially in light of all that they had learned in the first part of his letter to them. We're also encouraged to stay committed to serving the Lord, literally translated as a bond slave. Paul's message to the church in Rome here was to serve God, even in light of the oppression and the diversity of beliefs that they had to live with. They were still to join arms and serve the Lord together. We have a lot of division in our world right now. And our spiritual service to God and living out His great commission 
has never been more important than today. A couple of weeks ago, I got to hear a devotional speaker speaking out of Revelation 2 and the letter there to the church at Ephesus. And I'll summarize the point that the speaker made in that he summarized it as, let the things you do for God be an overflow of who you are in God. You see, the church at Ephesus was doing tons of things for Jesus, but they were no longer doing those things with Jesus. Jesus praised them there for all the things that they were doing, but then he tells them, I have this against you, that you've lost, you've left your first love. Because the reason all that work was being done was born out of their love for Jesus. Jesus would always prefer that we stay close to him rather than to be actively working on things for him, but without him. Jesus would always prefer that we stay close to him rather than to be actively working on things for him, but without him. So in his letter, Jesus first complimented them on their patience and their endurance. And that's an encouragement we also see Paul using here in verse 12. Verse 12 speaks for the need for the church to endure in three ways. In hope, in patience, and in prayerfulness. Our spiritual hope is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if you put yourselves in the minds of the churches in Rome at this time, they faced an uncertain future. Some of those there had little or no experience of even walking in any sort of spiritual life. So Paul here encouraged them to remain hopeful. We too are to remain hopeful in the days ahead. Not overcome by what may come, but overcoming the days with hope in Christ. He also encouraged them to be patient. How many of you are good at that. Show of hands. Anybody good at patience? Okay, that's a good answer. Paul knew that the life that lay ahead for them, especially the new believers in Rome, would be difficult. He himself had faced great difficulty on this road as a new believer as well. So just think of believers today who make a profession of faith and immediately lose their job. Or immediately have a health scare. Or lose a parent. Or lose a child. They can sometimes feel a sense of confusion like, I I don't understand. I don't understand why this happened. Paul wanted to make sure that they fully understood that the oppression that they faced and the tribulation in their lives as believers was going to require great patience. But it was all worth it. Jesus reminds us in John 16, 33, says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So 2021 will require great patience of us. 
as the church, we should lead out in that for our community and for the sake of the gospel. We should do this. In light of the difficulties they faced, Paul also gave them the exhortation that they were to be faithful or constant in prayer. So Paul knew the importance and the usefulness of prayer. He knew this would be critical to their walk. This new walk that they had in Christ, prayer was going to be very, very important. God also knew that we would need this reminder today, in this moment on the brink of a new year, for us to be faithful in prayer. So I'm probably going to make some of you angry right now. And I'm going to, that's just going to have to be okay. You can find me afterwards. I'll be standing right out here. And we can talk about it. But I remember days back in March, April, May-ish time frame when this church was not able to meet at all. And we were doing things only virtually. And we as elders struggled to think of ways we could make things still feel as much like church family gatherings as we could. And one of the big things that we felt the need for was the need for us to pray for each other. For us to remain in contact with each other and knowing what each other's prayer needs were. And so we set up Wednesday noontime Facebook prayer times. And I know not everybody's on Facebook. But we set those times up for the purpose of being able to pray for each other. To share prayer requests with each other. To share comments with each other about how we would be praying with each other. And I remember those days having, at the beginning, having 40 to 50 to 60 people on there at times. Today we have between 5 and 10 people on good days. And back then when 40 to 50 people would look at it later in the day or later in the week, the views on those prayer times would be over 100. Today the views of those prayer times are closer to 40 to 50. Why is that? Is our, has our need for prayer faded? I'm going to leave that right there with you guys. And I'd like for you to consider that. Third, we're to stay committed to the church. In our last verse, Paul exhorts the church to be generous and hospitable. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's important to remember that this letter was written to the church at Rome. Not to the people in the cities of Rome, but to the church, churches at Rome. And so this first exhortation here in this last verse is to be generous towards one another. Paul knew that the faith of these early Christians would be tested. And that their ability to care for one another would be paramount in the days that lie ahead. The year that has just passed has seen our church offerings swell greater than we could have possibly imagined. And it's critical that we as a church remain conduits of blessings to each other, to our communities, to faithful partners like Chris and his family, and not become a reservoir of blessings where those blessings just stay here on this six acres. As we mentioned in our business meeting a couple of weeks ago, those funds only have kingdom value when they are put to kingdom work. So we are to be generous with that. 
And seeing the way that our church and our community has rallied around our food pantry has just been incredible. We're so blessed by having servants like Debbie Noland and Kenny and countless numbers of you sitting in here today, sitting watching at home. People who don't require any recognition at all, but you come there faithfully and serve. Thank you for that. A couple of weeks ago at my work, we were given a sum of money and we were to take that money and find someone in our lives who had had a rough year. You won't find any stories about this in the Nashville scene, but we were instructed to find somebody who was still hurting. So I have a friend I'll call John. It's not White Knack. I mean, he has a friend, but that's not what I'm talking about. So Kelly and I wrestled with who we should give this money to. And so we both landed on John almost immediately. And so on a Friday night, I went to his house over in Franklin. He's had a tough year. He's had a tough couple of decades, actually. And I went in and met with him. And I gave him the money. And our instructions were to give him the money and just let him know that that was purely a blessing in the name of Christ. And so I did that. And he put his head down and wept. And then he looked back up at me and he said, I have $3 in my checking account. I have no gas in my car. And I just ate the last can of soup that I had in my pantry. And so it was obvious that John was the right target. So I leave his house. I ask him to go get some groceries, go get some gas, go get some food and that I would keep checking on him. Two days later, I came to church. I walk in, and in between services, we're back here in the back doing our normal talking and stuff, and I just happened to mention John's comments to me that day. And it was like a light switch went on. And there were people scurrying around, and before you knew it, my little car, the trunk of my car was full of food, meat, crackers, cereals, everything that John might need and I was able to go back over there and give him that. And he, again, just absolutely wept. And the cool thing also in taking that was someone had given cash to the food pantry as well, and I was instructed to take that and replenish what he had spent on groceries on Friday night. So we got that reset, and he had a cupboard full of food. And thankfully, we'll be able to take him some more food today. That's what generosity looks like as the church. So thank you all for your contributions to the food pantry, for your service to the food pantry. And thank you, Lord, for giving us Debbie Nolan to take care of all that. She is a huge blessing. Paul asks us to do this show year-round, not just at Thanksgiving or Christmas. He asks us to do this year-round. And lastly, Paul exhorts the church to show hospitality. So 2020 could be marked as the low point of hospitality in the last 50 years of our country. And that doesn't mean just getting together. It also means if you're on social media, we haven't been very hospitable to each other on there either. I would say that's probably at a low point. The requirements of social distancing and gathering in small groups, if at all, 
has marked the past year and is it's one of the things that I've struggled with the most probably just being candid with you it's been the hardest for me to accept so Paul here exhorts the church to show hospitality and the literal translation of what Paul says here is to pursue hospitality and that verb implies continuous action not one time constantly So as I mentioned at the beginning, Paul had just spent the first 11 chapters explaining what the Jewish and Gentile believers had in common in Christ. And one of the outcomes of that is a desire to spend time together, both worshiping corporately together and in each other's homes. So, show of hands, how many of you enjoy inviting people over to your home? Okay, I got some of you going like this. I'm not sure. I mean, if you seriously, if you could afford to do it, you would do it all the time. Yeah? Okay, got a couple more. Good. More than I thought. That's good. First Peter one, First Peter four eight and nine says, "Above all, hold unfailing your love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Practice hospitality ungrudgingly." To one another. So there's a story, or maybe it's a, I guess it's a joke, probably more than anything. At least I hope it's a joke. In my wife's family, in that when I invite them over to my house, when I feel like they've stayed long enough, I start closing the blinds. I'm not sure if Les is sitting out there hearing this right now or not. And I don't really do it intentionally, at least I don't think I do. I want to think that I don't do it intentionally. But I, that may not be true. Um, so if you're ever in my house and I start closing the blinds, don't take it personally. So there's that. But don't follow my example. Please don't follow my example. Follow, let's all follow the example of Christ. And that is the way He has shown us hospitality is the perfect example for us. By His choosing to leave heaven, to come to a difficult, imperfect world to show His love. By taking the opportunity to serve rather than to be served. By going to the hard places to find hard-to-reach people. These are also part of our hospitality. You see, it's not enough just to invite people over who look, walk, talk, act, think, vote like you. Or live where you live. That's easy. True hospitality takes place when you have absolutely nothing in common, but you get together anyway to seek to forge relationships in Christ. Which is the one thing we should all seek to have in common. That's what the church at Rome faced. And it's what should mark our lives today. Jesus modeled that for us. He met us where we were and gave us all we needed. He gave us immeasurable blessings out of His immeasurable love for us. And He gave us the ultimate act of hospitality done for God's glory when He died for sinners to make everyone who believes a member of the household of God. We who believe are no longer strangers or sojourners. We have come home.
to God. And, and why did God do this? He tells us in Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, 5 and 6 He predestined us to, in love to be His sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace. So church, I want you to be encouraged today. God loves you enough to remind you that the road to true joy and a life pleasing to God is marked by these things. Have genuine love. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another. Outdo one another. Not to be slothful in zeal, but to be fervent in spirit. To serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and to be intentional in showing hospitality. So what are we going to do with these 13 exhortations that Paul gave us? Are we going to look back a year from now at this time and wish we had done more of these? Or are we, will we be celebrating how God has provided many, many opportunities to live for Him and to stand amazed at His good grace? I want to remind you that even if you finish 2021 and you've done none or very few of these things, don't ever forget that Christ's love for you is eternal and unchanging. May we never waste a pandemic. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you, Father, for your word to us. Father, and even though 2020 has been a tough year, it's, it feels like we've lost a lot. But we've also gained a great deal. Father, you've given us opportunities to live for you. But we haven't always taken advantage of those opportunities. But Father, these 13 things that you give us in your word are things that we can do. We are capable of doing these things in your power and in your good grace. We are so thankful for you reminding us of these things as we get ready to go into a new year. A year marked by expectation. A year marked by hopefulness. A year that's going to be marked by patience or the need thereof. Father, I just pray your blessings on each family represented here in this building and those who are watching via live stream. Father, I just pray that you would give us all a chance to, to recommit ourselves to loving each other well and to living out these days for you. Not just doing things for you, but doing things for you, with you. May that be true of our lives. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.